Hello! <laughs> Welcome to Box Not Included, the show looking at geek culture and media we love and loathe from a queer perspective. I'm Hamish, the walking definition of a Hufflepuff steel. <laughs> yeah, you are. And I'm Jade. My dormitory is the room of requirements. Rose. <laughs> and in today's episode, we are talking about Harry Potter and the magical world of it. Oh, that was beautiful. <laughs> uh, specifically, we're kind of taking a first dip into the Harry Potter universe because there is a ridiculous amount of stuff we could talk about, more than we could ever conceivably do in one episode. But we're starting somewhere and we're starting here. Spoiler so, warning for the Harry Potter franchise. <laughs> including Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. Yes, I have not read or seen The Cursed Child. No, neither have I. We will not be addressing The Cursed Child in this episode. But the first seven books and movies and Fantastic Beasts. Absolutely. Okay. So I suppose we should start with how we each discovered Harry Potter, because we've came at it very differently. So, Hemish. Um, well, I have two older brothers, and for a lot of my childhood, if they said something was lame, I thought something was lame. And that is why I only watched Buffy until, uh, I think, last year, mm -hmm. um, or the year before. Um, that's why a lot of the things I've only been discovering right now. Um, and I remember my brothers thinking Harry Potter was rubbish and never dipping my toe in um, fully until quite recently. I did watch the films mostly at the cinema, mostly when they came out. Mm -hmm. But it came from quite a different place. Like yeah. I, I remember seeing the first film at a friend's party and when in the car home I complained about the CGI on the, the three-headed dog, mm -hmm. the mum uh, of the friend's party kind of took me to one side and said, it's very rude to criticise a film I paid for you to go see. Wow. And it kind of scarred me for life. In a weird way. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, criticism hurts people. And I think that was kind of a lesson to learn. Mm -hmm. It's made me very... Anyway, this is a completely different topic. But I, can't, I I watched all the films. I think I missed a few. Mm -hmm. I remember seeing um, Half-Blood Prince. No, uh, Deathly Hallows Part 1 mm. at the cinema. Yeah. And everyone around me was, like, sobbing and caring. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I went... I left the cinema and I thought, you know what? I want to care for the final one. Mm -hmm. So I am going to read the books. I love how you put air quotes around read the books. Because I listened to them. Ah. Um, and I listened to all of them. I ended up missing Deathly Hallows Part 2 at the cinema, so I didn't even see it. Um, and Because I, I just wanted to... I wanted to have that. I wanted to live the Harry Potter childhood thing. Yeah. Um, and I really liked them. And the films have grown on me. I never hated them. I just, they, I don't think they're very good adaptations mm -hmm. in the way that is. They don't really work. They don't really support themselves. Yeah. I think they do need a, a knowledge of the books to be as good. 
Yeah, I, I think uh, the process of adapting is going to be something that we talk about in a later episode because yeah. there is an art to adapting one media to another and it is not a matter of being completely faithful. No. So, But that is a, another topic <laughs> for another day. So I, I did really like listening to the books. Um, it, it did make me feel a little bit like a kid. Um, I ended up really appreciating the films a lot more the reason i wanted to listen to them is i did actually really enjoy deathly hallows part one the film um though i found out my favorite bits were the stuff they made up before the film fantastic uh but i don't know i i I, it was always something i wanted to like i just wasn't there at the time no that makes sense but since then i've um i know my house i know my patronus i know my wand well is your patronus in your wand so cool I did one of those quizzes. Did you do the official Pottermore yes. ones? And? I don't like my Patronus, but I am someone who thinks if you do not like what you're given in these kind of quizzes, that is an interesting part of your character. So my Patronus is a dolphin. You are much more adult about this than I am. So I don't like the fact that I have a dolphin, but the idea of me being a disgruntled dolphin owner is really funny <laughs> to me. <laughs> and like the idea of I am such a dolphin that wishes it wasn't, that it, it's just perfect, even though I hate it. Okay. Um, and I've gone on the studio tour, and I wanted to see Fantastic Beasts day one. I still kind of want to go see The Cursed Child. Um, I think coming at it from an adult perspective meant that I kind of had some of the cynicism and problems that people are, are now discovering, mm-hmm. or now feeling, going in. Yeah. And in a way, that kind of was fine, because I, I was like, I have these problems, and then the books won me over so much. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that, so I'm a, I'm a late bloomer. A late bloomer. Um, I read my first Harry Potter book, and not the first one. Bear in mind, I am, as I said before, I am a little bit older than Hamish. Um, the first book I read was Prisoner of Azkaban, mm-hmm. um, because... This was in year 10 in my GCSE French, first year of GCSE French. And the girl who sat next to me, who I knew very well, told me I should read them. And I was like, okay. And I said, oh, which one's your favourite? And I think the first four were out at that point. Um, Possibly not in paperback. I'm not sure. But I read Prisoner of Azkaban and I loved it. And I thought it was wonderful and amazing. And um, I think I got given the box set of the first four that Christmas and then read them all. And then as the books came out, I read them religiously. And then when the film started coming out, I obviously went to see them. And I have been consistently disappointed by every Harry Potter movie, bar the most recent one, which I have issues with for different reasons. But... Interestingly enough, the film that I feel is one of the most successful films is the one I probably like the least <laughs> because it's my favourite book. Okay. And that's Prisoner of Azkaban. Um, not to say I think Prisoner of Azkaban is a bad movie. I just have the most issues with it. But interestingly enough, I've seen every Harry Potter movie at the cinema and I have not watched them since. Wow. So I kind of have a very, 
odd relationship with the movies. I both f- appreciate them for what they are and feel so very aware of their failings. I, I can see full heartedly why people, my niece loves them. And I'm like, well, she's a child. So what does she know? <laughs> but she does. And I, I get why. And interestingly, as I get older, and I probably need to reread the books again, I see the flaws in the writing of the books more. Uh, but Harry Potter fandom was one of the first things I sort of read fanfic for. And my sorting is an issue. <laughs> as is my Patronus and my official Patronus. And unlike you, I kind of reject <laughs> reject what I'm given. Because but again, that's your character. Like, that's, that's very me. That would be a- you. Like, I can, I can so imagine you in the Harry Potter world rejecting houses. I probably would. I mean, and I, I say this because the first time I did the Pottermore test, and this was early Pottermore, mm-hmm. I got Ravenclaw. Um... I aspire to Hufflepuff. <laughs> I do. I think Hufflepuff is the best. Um, and but the most on the new Pottermore, and I do have two accounts because I tried again. I got Slytherin twice, and for me, the defining aspect of Slytherin is that ambition and that drive. And I'm like, I've got fuck all of that. What? So I don't. I don't think of myself as being at all ambitious or driven. And you're surprised by this, which I find really interesting. I think of you as being someone who you always you describe yourself as an aspiring actor. Yeah. Despite the fact that I always say you can just say actor. Mm. But I think it's because you live in the potential future in a way. You have mm. like that is aspiration. Okay. But I don't have drive. But part of that's part of that is executive part of that is executive dysfunction. But that I find interesting, um, and how other people perceive me and things like that, which is why I said about to be fair, I'm riffing on the pilot of being human, which is I'm fairly certain they just tell me to sleep in the Great Hall for a few for, for years. Mm. But I always I do the concept of sorting is such a pervasive thing in fans outside of Harry Potter fans. Oh, what is your house? What house would this character be in? And and the tag I use on my blog for it is sorting is a serious business because people get so, 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 so het up about it. See, I, I love it. Oh, I love it. But, but, one of the things that annoys me about the books is how obvious it is to me that all of the Wizarding World's problem is the, is caused from sorting. Yeah, segregation, how, us against them. How there's a line that I cannot let go. This is genuinely what Hagrid says in the movie mm-hmm. of Philosopher's Stone. He says, there isn't a wizard who turned bad who didn't come from Slytherin. Mm-hmm. That means every single wizarding criminal in the entire world came from one house in one school. Bullshit. That is what is implied. Mm-hmm. I take him a pinch of salt because I think he's, he's very, a very pr- black and white. Yeah, and he's very proud of like, isn't he a Gryffindor? Yeah, he's very proud of that. I think he's just saying that, like when people say Hogwarts is the best school, and then you meet someone who wasn't from Hogwarts. Yeah. Um, that was a gag I liked in Fantastic Beasts. Yeah, actually, it, it actually helps smooth out some of the absolutistness of yeah. the original books. 
Um, what I'm just saying is that I, I read the series clear, like thinking it's going to end with them abolishing the houses. And when we meet Harry Potter and his children in the future, it'll be, mm-hmm. oh, isn't it nice now that no lo- kids no longer worry about how they are categorized. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought the twist was going to be that essentially Gryffindor and Slytherin are identical houses. Mm. And I think they kind of are. In many ways they, they are. are. They're just the words you use and how the power of how a word, yeah. how ambition and mm. drive and things Sorry, like, yeah. like cunning or intelligence or, you know, these words have so yeah. much... What I find amazing is once you step outside the canon for Harry Potter, and I have read some astonishingly good meta Mm. around sorting, but like how different the books would have been if Harry had been sorted into Slytherin. Would he have been so anti-going into Slytherin if it weren't for that that interaction with Draco? I always think of the... Sorry. I I find the way Slytherin is written in the book is from the perspective of of a bunch of Gryffindors. Yeah. Who really lap up the house pride mm-hmm. aspects. It's lions for you. Like, I, my school had houses. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I couldn't care less about my house. Yeah. My school did a really silly thing by sorting the sporty people into one house <laughs> and then doing sport prizes and, like, wow. they always won. Shocking. Um, and I was in one of the houses, which was, like... No one really. I was in Hufflepuff. No one really knew what the good thing about my house was. It's just where the arty types probably went. See, that's what I, um, I always feel like. Hufflepuff get shat on a lot, and it, one Hufflepuffs and Ravenclaws get shat on a lot in terms of merchandise because there's never as much good stuff, and that bothers me. Secondly, within canon, they're also kind of a bit of a joke, and that bothers me because. I feel like Hufflepuff have some of the most admirable traits, hmm. but that's that's a, a a thing, and I don't want us to dwell too long on sorting, even though I purposely made a point of it in the notes because I just find it wonderful. It's clearly Harry Potter was very formative for a lot of people because of the way it remains so very pervasive in fandom as a way for talking about characters, and I'm gonna say this at risk of flames. In my experience, people who self-identify as Gryffindors insist that their favourites are Gryffindors. People who identify as other houses tend not to have that same. They're they're more flexible, I would say, and say, "Oh well, I like them as this, but I can see them as this." I and this makes me laugh. Something I would possibly say is that I find the other houses don't tend to sort Gryffindors much. Interesting. I think there's a reluctance to call someone a Gryffindor because it feels safe and an easy way to describe a character. When I, I see it so often when I say, oh, this person's a Gryffindor. I was thinking, trying to think of a Gryffindor character. like Steve Rogers? I was thinking Leslie Nope. Is she a Gryffindor? Interesting. I like her as a Gryffindor, but I also see her as a positive Slytherin. This is the thing. Whenever people say a Gryffindor, they rack their brains to try and sort them as a Slytherin by thinking of the one time they acted Mm. at their own interest. When Harry, Ron and Hermione are constantly breaking the rules to... Mm. for. 
for the you know gain the greater of good. the greater good and things like that. And they they so care about um, you know their mm. legacy and no, of course. reputation and things. Yeah. So I just I this is the thing I find confusing is because I do think those two houses are so similar. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, it's like how people talk about how Slytherins and Hufflepuffs are one of the most dangerous combinations because they're both <laughs> that thrive on that ethic and that drive. Mm. Um, I always find it interesting. Like as I said, there's been some stunningly good meta written over over the course of the years since, like talking about sorting and different implications. I saw a good one, which was what if the Hogwarts champion for the Triwizard Tournament had been a Slytherin and how different things might have played out. And there's some fascinating and interesting stuff going, oh, this is so cool and so interesting. But hindsight's a very easy thing. One of my favourite things about the films is all the extras who haven't been told that inter-house mingling is yeah. common. So they're just anyone stuck with anyone and you just it makes it really funny thinking that Harry and Draco and everyone are so obsessed with this and no one Whereas else most is. people just don't like, give her. No. Yeah. Uh, to quote uh, that great metal philosopher, Bender Bending Rodriguez, I'm going to get my own house. <laughs> <laughs> with blackjack. <laughs> no, no blackjack and hookers. But in all seriousness, I have spoken about like the unsortables mm. and like us having our own house and the room of requirements, providing a dormitory and our colours being purple and copper. I would just say one last thing of why I think Leslie Nope is a Gryffindor. Oh, I accept Leslie Nope is a Gryffindor. Is that I think 50% is choice. Yeah. Like Harry Potter basically chooses his house. He does. Um, and I think Leslie would... She would want to be... She would choose to be She'd go Gryffindor. out and break a window if she was a Slytherin. Yeah, she would. Yeah, she, she, would she would be able to look at herself. She totally would. Um, okay. Well, I was going to say maybe talking about growing up. Yeah. Because these are children's books. They are. And and I think that's important to remember when analysing them. And oh. also that J.K. Rowling wouldn't have ever predicted... No. ...what it's become. No. Um, yes, she probably had the stories all mapped out, and mm-hmm. she says that it was always intentional that it would get darker and things like that. But for it to become such a phenomena that anyone on the on the street knows what you mean by sorting and mm-hmm. um every, like all the things she invented are so ingrained in popular culture mm-hmm. um and that's an interesting thing is that now we've grown grown older and these books have been analyzed for so many years now um they fall apart a bit. Yeah, I wouldn't say they fall apart. They they show, they show leaks. The, show, yeah, they, they have little them. they have little sags. Yeah, I um, think that's fair. And I think that's where I've found what one of the positive sides of the fandom is. They pick up that slack. Yeah, and we're going to talk about sort of representation and things like that. Yes. Um, but something I find. Something I'm a bit concerned about is so we had those eight books. The end. Seven. No, there's still only seven books. Seven books. Thinking about the films. Seven books. Okay, that's the end. But now it's not. We're continuing. We've got Mm -hmm. a play and a new series of films, and it's continuing. And it's still all. Even though J.K. Rowling didn't 
uh, write The Cursed Child. She was consulted about the story. Um, it's still all resting on her. And she did write the screenplay for Fantastic Beasts. She Ghosts. did write, yes, she did. And it, it it's all been resting on her. And I'm wondering if she's the best person to do that mm-hmm. now. I don't want to compare her to George Lucas. I think that's... But I will. Okay. <laughs> uh, you bring back George Lucas, because he's the only person who could write the prequel series. Mm-hmm. Surely. Um, but when you're in it, and I know this from someone making a webcomic with 50 readers, when you're writing something and in it, it's sometimes a little bit tough to know why people like it mm-hmm. and what people respond to. Yeah. And so you're not quite sure what your focus should be on. And not that you should only write things to please people, but I don't think she should be seen as the only person that can contribute to the world. Does that make any kind of sense? That does, yeah. I mean, she is the architect of that world, but she doesn't have to be the only one building the extensions. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Like, it's just that there's so much interesting stuff I see from fans Mm -hmm. and the people that have lived in that world. And love that world. Love that world, possibly more than her. Mm -hmm. Like, um, I I always think she should be involved as as long as she wants to be. Yes. I'm just wondering if she is the best person to. I know we do say like something she comes out and says like JK no, J- JK no Joe Joe jo- jo- and this is coming from someone who Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them was possibly my favourite Harry Potter film it's my favourite Harry Potter film well. I feel very scared to say that because my god are there problems oh god yes there's definitely I can't tell if it's it was either edited out or something but a lot of the stuff we got beforehand with the appropriative aspects of um, Native Native American cultures Mm. didn't really seem to find its way too much into the film. Yeah. I'm wondering how much was changed and edited or removed, if at all. Or how much of the Ilvermoni stuff has come after. Yeah. Um, Um, I'm not in a position to comment on it. This is the thing. Like I'm saying it purely as a film. It's very clearly a script written for film not Mm -hmm. adapted from a book yeah and that's I mean because the Fantastic Beasts book is a textbook Mm. with notes from characters in it so arguably the act of adapting it it's more about it's more of a separate thing it's less an adaptive story but we're going to get back to Fantastic Beasts in a little bit now you guys know what this podcast is about (laughs) do we? well we we, we say at the beginning what it's about um, we're going to talk about the gays yeah. and the lack thereof because, and I'm going to say this and I'm going to get right up close to the mic something controversial Dumbledore does not count yet yet, and yet is an important thing um, and I say this because one, after the fact representation when there is nothing in the text to support it feels like empty representation. It feels like 
tokenism and while i appreciate they just say oh what would i know this was there's been lots of talk about this and lots of analysis saying oh what would you have had him do what would you have had him say and it's just like there are things that could have been done hints like anybody that says it's a children's book there go gets kicked out of the conversation as far as i'm concerned because thank you because too often being queer homosexuality is equated as being all about sex and that's not what it's about and too often homosexuals are regarded as a predatory thing and it has no place being around children and it's just like you're talking out your ass so jk turning around and saying dumbledore is gay fine that doesn't mean dumbledore in the first seven books is good gay representation or i don't think qualifies as gay representation going forward with the fantastic beasts movies knowing what we now know about the nature of dumbledore and grindelwald's relationship yes then i'll be prepared to say that does count but dumbledore as exists in the books and the films even i do not feel does not qualify as representation that's my take on it and i agree well shit um, <laughs> no, no. I, I i have a, i have lots of other things to say as well though yeah um i can accept that the world is a very different place when these books were written yes i always forget the first one came out much earlier than i thought it did 96 i thought it came out 94 earlier this is how this is you know how good at Harry Potter, I am. This is how this good. Is a re- I, this is how good. This at is why I qualify I to talk about Harry Potter on a podcast. Um, I accept that the world was a very different place. People weren't expecting queer representation in the same way from their children's books. So I, I'm although I find it frustrating. There's no um, canonical, overt evidence. Mm-hmm. I'm at peace with that. It's the fact that the Harry Potter franchise is now continuing and every time they don't solve that problem, it gets worse to the point of it being kind of sinister. Mm-hmm. And that counts for representation in all kinds of ways. I'm being smug because the first book did come out in 1997. But you, you, have, you can be smug, don't worry. Okay. Um, I think it's because I was confused. Aren't they set earlier? Yes. Yes. Okay. But that's kind of complicated. And then when we get to the films, it's yeah, sort of negative. Okay. I just get but, confused. But what it. you are saying, I think it's something that we've talked about before with Star Trek, before yeah. the most recent movies, just like, oh, there are no gays. Were we wiped out? Is this future <laughs> utopia where we don't exist? Ditto the wizarding world. Just like, okay, so where are we? I can accept. And actually, interestingly, I can accept that the wizarding world is incredibly homophobic. Yes. And I kind of want it to be. Ooh. I kind of want that to be something addressed. Mm-hmm. In a way, I would be a bit frustrated mm. if in the next Harry Potter Wizarding World movie, mm-hmm. they treat it as if uh, Dumbledore is gay and everyone's totally cool with that. Don't worry. We have no problems with that. It's just that there's no one else like him in the franchise. Yeah. It would be interesting to me that in a world obsessed with 
bloodlines mm-hmm. and passing on your legacy and mm-hmm. history yeah. and traditional roles of witches and wizards and nothing that crosses between them. If they really addressed that. Yeah. And this is a world of slavery and mm-hmm. like huge racism problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, a world which looks... Interracial marriage. Uh, you know, yeah, a world that looks on... Um, you know, World War Two and things that and thinks, oh, that's their problem, doesn't matter. Yeah. A world in which um there's such such a hatred for and suspicion of humans, even though biologically they're almost identical. Yeah. I think it would be interesting for them to say that in nineteen twenties New York or Paris or wherever the next one's gonna be set, to say yes. Dumbledore is quite closeted because homophobia exists in the wizarding world. Isn't that sad? Mm. And I actually, one of the things I really like about the Harry Potter books is you start the franchise with um, Harry seeing the wizarding world as this escapist perfect fantasy. And then over time you realise it's actually kind of got lots of problems. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, and actually a little bit of evidence I felt towards this. Oh, was on a Pottermore uh, bit of writing treat or whatever okay. that got uploaded. It was a Rita Skeeter article about Harry Potter. All right. And it seemed to joke. This is how I was reading it. And, and it should be noted, I read everything with looking for the gays. I have the same problem. <laughs> so it seemed that basically Rita Skeeter made some joke about how we didn't really know what happened with Harry and Victor Crumb in the maze, do we, girl? You know. Yeah, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. It seemed to be very tabloidy trying to insinuate that Harry and Victor Crumb had had some kind of affair. Dalliance. And if that is in this world, mm. and... I don't know. I just I, it, it that interested me. Yeah. And I guess we'll yeah. I don't I don't necessarily mind I um representation which representation doesn't have to be hearts and flowers. No, and actually it does bother me sometimes like when I when I watch something and they say they put in a gay character and overstate how much they're just like anybody else. No one cares. People like, do, people do care. People do care. Um, I think the fact that Rita Skeeter might have tried to out Dumbledore and the fact that he potentially dated one of the worst, like, Mm -hmm. wizarding criminals of all time is scandalous. Yeah. It would be scandalous in this world. Yeah. So, I, that's how I would want, that's me personally. Yeah, I don't want to see happy, I don't necessarily want to see happy out gay Dumbledore but it's about acknowledging that sexuality. That sexuality yes. doesn't have to be an happy, happy idyllic lifestyle. Yeah. Um, but I, I agree. I agree with you. Uh, one thing I consider to, and I say this, I consider to be better representation because it's like feels like it's grasping at straws. But uh, within the Harry Potter films, um, Dean and Seamus. Because when you talk to the actors, uh, when you talk to Alfie Enoch and Devon Murray, they knew what they were doing. And that was their choices as actors. And there are some lovely casual intimacies between them. And um, I think it's in the final film, you see them holding hands. Mm. And it's just like, they made that choice. And that, for me, 
is significantly more satisfying, even though it's never directly addressed. For me, that feels much more real and a tangible thing I can see and I can observe. And that could be in the books, like, oh, Harry saw... No, to be to be fair, Harry Potter is one of the most oblivious young men <laughs> in fiction, but he has a lot going on. I mean, uh, Dumbledore. I don't want him to be straight. No, but I don't necessarily see how any struggling queer kid is going to relate. necessarily relate to Dumbledore. Yeah. Um. And yeah. I know for a lot of people, um, and this is something that maybe I'll talk about in a future episode, really relate to or um, read Lupin as a gay character or as a queer character for numerous reasons. That And uh, also Tonks. Yeah. Who's one of my faves. These are two characters, along with Sirius, that feel quite heavily queer-coded in a lot of ways. And perhaps that is our queer goggles sat too tight, squeezing our brains but I feel for a lot of people, when they got together, it felt like straight washing. It felt like taking these two characters, and they aren't our characters, they're JKs, but I know there was that feeling of going, why would you take those two characters and give them the most sort of heteronormative style storyline? And before people say anything, I appreciate that a male-identified character and a female-identified character getting together does not constitute a straight relationship. However, I don't know, that's an observation I made. I really want to... Lupin is something and someone would like to talk about in a later episode because there's so much to unpack in terms of metaphors and symbolism. Yeah. I mean, we already said this is our... First, it's our first Harry Potter. First run at Harry Potter. Um, just so you get to know where we s- sit with it. Yeah. Which to me is still positive. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I made it sound early like, oh, I don't rewatch the films and the books. I still have a lot of love in my heart for Harry Potter. I, um, yeah. I love magic. It's amazing. And I, I it's the idea of, a, like, I, I really like The Worst Witch. Oh, I love those books. I love that TV show. The idea of witches in schools has been done, but Mm -hmm. there's something about Harry Potter that, um, something about the world where you can tell this has been thought of, Mm -hmm. um, this feel, this world does feel quite real. There's a reason why Harry Potter AUs are one of the most popular AUs for every other fandom. Like it is a rich playground. Like, I like Worst Witch, but there's no information about where this takes place or mm-hmm. when or what the limits are to magic or yeah. how they relate to the real world. And I think the fact that it's semi-set in the real world really helps. Yeah. My favourite scene mm. in the entire book series... All my favourite scenes never made it to the films, just yeah. FYI. Yeah. My favourite scene is when the Prime Minister gets briefed on the Wizarding World. That does happen in the book, you know. No, that's what I say in the book. Okay. My oh, favourite scene that oh, isn't in the films. Sorry, my my apology. Yeah, no. No that's great. scene world builds mm. in such an interesting In such and a subtle way. Subtle way. Because it's it 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 came came in a point in the series when I was starting to ask, well, what how much do they Oh, here oh. it goes. Oh. 
And it's fascinating. It's like, Frank, this shit just got real. Yeah, but like, I think it's a painting that talks to them and just says, hello, we're dealing with some problems in the wizarding world. Mm. It may affect you, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Please look out for bald, snake-like, noseless men. Um, (laughs) (laughs) What? Bye! (laughs) No, but it's just... It's really fascinating. I've always said that one of the biggest disservices the books does is its treatment of Hermione in regards to like how little information we have about her background and home life. She has the same story as Harry Potter in terms of from, you know, our world. Mm. Um and to me as So a, she's totally muggle. Yeah. And to me, I um relate to the idea if my whole perception of reality had changed <laughs> I would do some reading. Yeah, I'd I think that's a very yeah. Learn some things. Though I will say, and this is what my my, my friend uh, Stephanie put this head cannon out there, and it remains one of my most favourite things. Uh, that Hermione's aunt is a vicar in a small parish. Oh, for those of you that maybe don't know, I'm referring to the vicar of Dibley, and the vicar is uh, Geraldine Granger. That would be very sweet. Wouldn't it though? I know Dol French now appears in the movies. Well, but... my favorite, um, one of my favorite scenes I've seen that cr- makes me cry all the time in the films is her um, yeah. getting her memory away from her parents. Oblivion, yeah, yeah, that's hard, man. Yeah, I like. I'm. I'm just. I really love Hermione. But we were talking about representation, and I do find it tough to imagine myself in that world a little bit mm-hmm. because, uh, yeah, mm. I mean. Yeah. As a, as a non-binary individual, are you a witch or a wizard? I'm a spellcaster. I'm a mage. That's the thing. Like I, I'm a magic user. It kind of bothers me in the... Um, yeah, it bothers me. I'm a sorcerer. But it bothers me in the books when Hermione's mission to help end the slavery of elves is kind of treated like a bit of a joke yeah it's like oh Hermione you whine and complain so much Mm. and it has a comedy name isn't Mm. it called Spew Spew and it's like ha 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 isn't that funny yeah society for the protection of elvish welfare aren't people who care stupid stupid but like I I can only imagine myself in that world Mm. if I was actively trying to change it does that make sense yep and I think Harry is a bit too happy in the world a little bit. Like I he, think when, but when you have to think about it, it's like the world Harry came from, he was abused. Yes, that's true. Like anything isn't up. <laughs> yeah. He traded up. And I think when something is new and shiny, it takes you longer to see the problems. That's fair. But we're going to now talk about Fantastic Beasts because as we have both said, it is our favourite films in the Harry Potter franchise but so I th- far. I think we've made our feelings about the Harry Potter film franchise quite clear. Yeah. There, there is a... I there think, is good in there. I think you have to accept there's a kind of objective reason why we could say it's our favourite film. Yes. And I'm like a film person. Same. And from that, it was really nice seeing a film which didn't feel like it had big gaps in it. Mm-hmm. I feel the way that the Harry Potter films are adapted is very faithfully with some big chunks out yeah. missing, rather than taking the story mm-hmm. as a whole and restructuring it to make it work on film. Yeah, This felt like it introduced the characters in a nice pace. and It, it felt like a complete narrative. Yeah. I was surprised how much of a complete narrative yeah. it was. I wasn't... I was expecting it to completely end on a kind of cliffhangery. Mm. 
Yeah. Like, but it felt like a if that was the only plot film they intended to make yeah. of um, after the series, then it would work. Yeah. Uh, before we get too deep into the analysis, um, we are both horrifyingly aware of how white 1920s Harlem is in this movie. Yeah. Like, to the point where it looks unnatural and unnerving. And the whiteness of the principal cast, for all that I feel the actors did a good job, was also very obvious to me and very upsetting. But as our status as two white people, yeah, I don't feel that it's our place to discuss it too much. But as white people, even we can we go, even we looked at it and go, dang, this film is white. It's. Sin- to its detriment. I, I, I've used the term sinister already, but it is sinister. It's yeah. it's very weird. And I, and I the the role of the president of the magical yeah world the American felt very much like a late addition because mm-hmm. I actually remember her casting being long after the other yeah actors and her character doesn't do much other than state be the boss. She says she says on two occasions like and if he does that that means war. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. That, that, that doesn't matter. Okay. But that—that's not an issue we're going to focus on because it has been spoken about eloquently by others. There is another casting thing that. Yeah, that is one that is on my list, and um, the casting of Johnny Depp. I would like to think that this was done before, and I like. I hope that this casting was done before the news broke about the nature of his relationship with Amber Heard? I'm pretty certain it was filmed and... As was I. Like, the timing makes me think it was very much... Yeah. Which is why I'm saying this. Warner Brothers, you can recast the role. You've already... Do. You've already hugely set up an easy way to do it. Yep. Um, The fact that... The character... I don't know why, we've already said spoiler warnings, but the fact that Grindelwald has already been played by several different people, Mm -hmm. um, even in small little flashbacks and things in the previous films, I'm... This is clearly a different person, and I don't mean that in a casting sense. I mean, the Mm. way Johnny Depp is choosing to play Grindelwald is a different character to the... Who was it? Uh, Uh... the actor or the character? The actor. Colin Farrell playing Percival Graves. No, I was talking about. Um, or from the in the ori- in the in the film series was played briefly by um, oh. Sweeney Todd guy. Oh, uh, ironically. Uh, uh, what's his name? Yes, I know the actor. Um, and then he was played by an older actor as well. Yeah. And like so. And, and it has been confirmed that he was not using a polyjuice potion to appear as Percival Graves. No, because he ma- seemed like a different person. It seemed like a different And there is metamorphagus established in... Well, this is what Tonks can do. Mm. She can change her appearance. So there is no reason why Johnny Depp should continue playing that role. Other than the fact, I'm pretty certain he signed a multi-film deal and... Warner Brothers are rich enough to get out of it. There's so many people who don't care. I know. And that's what was most frustrating. Mm. What was weird, and I th- this I am I I really hate that he's in these films to the point where 
I'm not sure how much I would watch the sequel if Same. he's very prominent. Prominent. Um, but this sounds horrible. But I have never been in a cinema where the reveal of the villain has felt as genuinely horrible. Yeah. And it was really interesting being in the cinema because a lot, like, it wasn't, oh, wow, it's him. I can't wait to see this. Mm. It was, oh, God, get him away from me. Mm-hmm. It's horrible. And also, it makes me sad because I think Colin Farrell was fantastic in that he movie. He should be given the role. Yeah. He should... It should be written into the character that Grindelwald liked that form because Enough. he retrieved a notoriety. Yeah, or that would something. be interesting. Um, I feel very upset that because I thought he was really great mm-hmm. and very interesting. There's a reason why fandom loves that Percival Graves, and it it doesn't genuinely doesn't make sense as a disguise because they're doing very different performances. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and also, um, another as if there weren't enough, enough reasons to dislike John Living in it, playing a, well, we seem to be a queer character. Yes. So the only thing I remember ever being confirmed is that Dumbledore was in love with Grindelwald. Yeah, whether it's reciprocal or not, I can't... I. It has been theorised that Grindelwald manipulated yeah. that feeling for his own Which game. is fair. But how queer coded was Percival and that con- was uh, credence? Credence. Before we get too into that, I do want to say thank you to Warner Brothers for casting an out queer actor in the Harry Potter franchise. Yeah, because I think that's important to see Ezra Miller on the circuit talking about being a misfit child. If he was like that, and him talking openly about coming to terms with his sexuality. That is great. I also thought his character was amazing. Credence is a great character. The thing I was totally... One of my favourite aspects of the film, which I was not expecting, was the second Salemers. And Mm. I was very pleased with how much muggle stuff there was in this film. Nomad. Nomad, sorry. But get with the terminology. Often when people have said, what house are you in? I say, I'm a muggle. So Mm. so are you. And like, because it's kind of a little bitter at the fact that in Harry Mm. Potter, it's often to do about blood and things like that. Um, I loved Jacob. Oh, Jacob Kowalski. Is it Dan Fogler, the actor? I just loved him. I wanted to smush his face. I loved the way Nuke was written. I actually I have did. a lot of feels I, about Luke's commander. So I I wish he wasn't white. Yes. I wish I, I I wish, I wish, I wish. I don't really like I feel bad. I don't like Eddie Redmayne on I don't a like kind Eddie Redmayne's weak, choices. No, and I don't like him in a kind of very I, I feel like I just Ephemeral. don't like that type. Yeah. I feel odd about the fact that the types of British actors that America make stars are so... Of a type? Unrepresentative of British people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I'm like, I'm currently loving the way um, America and the world has embraced like Riz Ahmed and yes. people like him. And I, I want them to be championed as our British talent yes. rather than Eddie mm. Redmayne's and Benedict Cumberbatch's as much. Yeah, But... I found his 
character very interesting. Yes. Because I was expecting... I was expecting something very different. Yeah. I was expecting it's adorable because he's foppish in English and not he's a person who has a special interest. And Heavily coded autistic character. But not... And like, even um, seeing him in kind of action scenes and fighting people with wands just felt so different and it felt like... A different... We hadn't seen that kind of character. No. And he's the main character and he's so... in like inward yeah i also it makes me very happy to see how much um a lot of the non-binary community are embracing newt scamander mm. one i need that outfit all the time if i had it i would wear it but the way that he refers to himself as mummy very unselfconsciously and i don't know it makes me very happy the way that he's been embraced by that segment and uh, uh, and i'm just like yeah cool i mean I'd rather not Eddie Redmayne be the poster child for... Hufflepuffs. Oh, Hufflepuff bothers me less. Uh, though I believe Eddie Redmayne does identify as a Hufflepuff, as does Dan Fogler, because I saw an interview and it was very cute. It was just very impressive that I was so ready to hate and then his character mm-hmm. and was so quickly won over to a very far in the opposite direction. Yeah. Um, but we got a loop back to queer coding because... That was one of the things I hated about the movie because I am so sick of queer-coded villains and it felt so, like, grooming. It was interesting because I kind of liked it. Really? It made me so uncomfortable, not in a good way, because I'm sick of queer-coded villains. Give me queer-coded good guys. Yeah, I I liked it, but in in a way I knew that lots wouldn't. Oh, okay. So you said give me queer-coded good guys a few sentences after talking about how quick-coded you felt Newt was. Well, yeah. I I liked... So, again, this comes back to my headcanon that <laughs> Wizarding World is very homophobic. True. Um, I find it very annoying that our only... Well, if Dumbledore's the only gay in the village... Yeah. Um, the only ones we have of close is a potential Grindelwald mm-hmm. and the fact that Grindelwald and Percival are kind of the same character we're not quite sure yeah. where the line is yeah and then you have Ezra Miller yeah. his character who is a complete a very obvious metaphor for growing up in a bigoted family while being the thing that they're bigoted against yes which I feel is a very... I have notes. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, like, I, I liked it. I, things, I liked the performances. I thought it was a strong choice. It just rankled me to see yet again, because I don't count the non-binary community going to Luke going, yep, ours. No. I, the thing that mostly bothered me specifically, mm-hmm. I think this is what the difference is. Like, it doesn't bother me in the slightest unless you go and use it right. Thing that bothered me is as much as I love Jacob and he's a beautiful cinnamon roll mm-hmm. and I want to taste his cinnamon rolls and I mean that literally. Um, we got like fifteen minutes of his goodbye, and yet Credence mm. was so disposed of as a oh well. Don't and know. I like I was watching this, loving that a film had actually discussed how horribly dangerous talking like this 
is in a family where you're not sure what your kids are mm-hmm. and how what, how they're feeling. I really liked that. I liked how yeah. dark and sad it was. And the fact that Newt tried so very hard to save him. To save him and to make sure everyone knew that it wasn't his fault, fault. that it wasn't he wasn't dangerous. Yeah. That he was lashing out. Like I liked how raw it felt. I felt mm, very connected was, to that. Yeah. It's just that then it he did just become a monster at the end that they killed and it was a bit oh well that's not going to stop that happening again. Yeah. That's not going to mm. I did appreciate the mislead with the sister though. Yes. I thought that was very nicely done from a plot point of view. Um, but um, something I, I made notes about, um, the whole suppressed magic equaling suppressed homosexuality. <sighs> One, apparently this was not a deliberate thing necessarily, because I've thought i seen this mentioned in a couple of interviews, though obviously the parallels there are unavoidable. And I feel it's kind of like a double-edged sword because, yeah, it's showing us... Please don't look how harmful it can be to do this to a person. You see the effect it has on a human being to live like that. On the flip side, I was going, yeah, because if you do that, we're going to turn into dangerous people that will kill loads of folk. So don't you repress us because we'll kill you. And it's just sort of like, I've seen the, the narrative of the abused person becoming a dangerous abuser. Yeah. And... These people that hurt other gay people just suppressed homosexuals. That, yeah. I I want so much to see the representation, but I feel that that issue is unavoidably and intrinsically snarled up in this. And it frustrates me because it is such a perfect metaphor. It's painfully perfect. I mean, I like you, I saw this and I was like, Oh, my heart was aching. I couldn't believe they were going there, even yeah. though it was a metaphor. Mm. And I'm wondering if, like, maybe straight people in the audience got Did it, it go straight over their yeah, heads? Did, like, it was so overt. It so, became covert. Like, everyone involved in that film must have known. I'm not saying everyone. I'm sure, mm. like, the makeup designer or the yeah. person in the background. Like, I just mean that the people, like, JK must have known... Every, like the you know the director must have known, mm. and they probably both thought they were doing a great job at yeah. commenting on it. And from their point of view, all it's saying is homophobia is bad. Yeah. But yeah, the moral is muddied. The moral is muddied. But and again, I'm, yeah, no. we're talking about something which doesn't have any queer representation in. And ergo, when this is what you are left with, but all the props to Ezra Miller for playing Credence so well and that yearning for acceptance, for comfort. Mm. As much as you could see the manipulation going on between Graves and Credence, like the it was a palpable performance that I was like throw some acting awards at that young man. It's like it was a bit too raw and real for, for the a film. Harry Potter movie. Like I accept that the Harry Potter films have always had torture and horrible things in them. Yeah. But it was seemingly trying to say too much of a message that mm. the film didn't have time for. Yeah. And, like, we talk about this film, I sometimes forget there's Fantastic Beasts in them. Yeah. Like... Which do look great. Really they were them. fine, and, uh, you know, great. Love that, love that Niffler. Yeah. Love the one that looked kind of like a sloth with beard. They were fine. They, I had no problem with the Fantastic Beasts. That's some great Beasts. creature designs. I just... 
It was also trying to do so many other things. Mm-hmm. Um, about yeah, some of the, and there yeah, some of the metaphors just got a bit heavy-handed about dangerous creatures and understanding them and which are important lessons to think that people they aren't dangerous and and there's some good stuff in there but yeah like i think case may be trying to do too much and also maybe we're looking deeper but again this is what it comes back to when you don't have the representation on a wider scale you will di- you will latch on to what is there and you will dig it out it's like you feel but like- i this film definitely was trying to because they also had all that lines about oh in america we can't let magic people marry like it so was trying to be this progressive yeah. uh, there's thing. a there's a fantastic daily dot article about how fantastic beast is trying to be allegory and failing with regards to race i didn't read it i need ally yeah. gory Hello, More God. <laughs> oh my god, Hamish. Oh, um, I should throw the tablet at you for that. Yeah, but like, I went I went to see Fantastic Beasts mm. thinking, I can't believe they're still doing Harry Potter stuff. Yeah. And I left more on the side of, all right, what's next? Yeah. Kind of. I was going to say, I purposely, because of the, my issues with the casting, I didn't want to pay to go see it. Somebody else paid for my ticket, <laughs> and I'm glad I and I'm glad that I saw it. I look, uh, me and my husband don't have many film uh, interests in the yeah in the middle of our Venn diagram, so I'll take any opportunity to go see a film with him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just I think if, if we are trying to make a conclusion to this part one of our Harry <laughs> Potter episodes that we do yeah it's that for me personally mm-hmm. i am at peace with harry potter yeah franchise i didn't think it would continue it now is so hey, sort it out so sort it out i think yeah that's great all right then um thanks for listening uh this episode i hope we haven't offended anybody's harry potter sensibilities and that you'll join us uh for future episodes uh we'd like to thank graham waller audio overlord and master of the Soundways for helping produce the podcast and soundbeard audio for our theme music and as i said thank you guys for tuning in uh, we'd love to hear from you you can email us at box not included at gmail.com or you can get in contact with us on twitter uh, we're at box not included feedback comments suggestions for future episodes uh we'd love to hear from you you can also get in contact with us individually on twitter uh i'm at hamish Steele, and i'm at jade oxford rose and that's it until next time so i'm jade rose i'm hamish Steele, and don't let anyone box you in or sort and sort your house for you (laughs) 